Welcome to The State of Us. Real people with honest opinions and the future of responsible media. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. That's right, it's me. We've got some great information on what's going to happen to the Democrats on November 6th. And you might be asking, well, why isn't it what will happen to the Republicans? Well, we'll get to that. Uh, but the Democrats, I think, are kind of kind of Lance and I's initial question here. So that's what we're going to take a look at and get into a couple opinion pieces from the Wall Street Journal that that caught Lance's attention. Uh, and I say Lance because as our as our resident um, Southern Democrat, we uh, redneck liberal man, uh, we, we, we value when he brings us things entitled the real reason they hate Trump and then a separate piece entitled Democrats haven't turned back from 1968. So we'll get to those. But of course, we can't begin the conversation without the aforementioned your friendly redneck liberal Lance, Lance Jackson. Jackson. Set me up either good or bad. It's all on me today, huh? It's all on you. Oh, well, I can end up broad shoulders, broad shoulders. So we, we care, right? Because it's our country, it's our election. And uh, regardless of which side you'd like to come out the victor, or hopefully the policies that you'd like to come out the victor, I would hope that that's what we're voting on. Uh, but that's part of what we're exploring today. Regardless of all of that, I think it is safe to say that what happens in this election will definitely have an effect on what happens after the election. So I know that probably seemed unnecessary to say, but I'm going to say it because okay. that should be why you would care about what's going to happen to the Democrats in this election, even if you're not a Democrat. So without further ado, the real reason they hate Trump. Monday, October 22nd is when this was published. In Foreign Affairs, the U.S. has remembered in the nick of time what Machiavelli advised princes five centuries ago. Don't seek to be loved, seek to be feared. Which if you, you know, we're just, this is... Kind of, you know, President Trump's um, ideas here. And then the other thing is um, here that goes with this, and I'll ask Justin for his take on this. Many of Trump's opponents worry too much about what other people think. I would love the esteem, this is the author, I would love the esteem of France, Germany, and Japan, but I don't mind losing sleep over it. Interesting foreign policy take here by the author, and what he's saying in this article is this is the way the average American thinks when, when they're thinking of foreign policy. I mean, it'd be great, right, if those countries like us. Like, it's nobody's going to be upset that these countries like us. That would be a nice little bonus. But do we really care? Why do I care? But if they don't, right, do we really care? And you know what? I don't, and if you're not a dignitary who spends time in those countries— and if I'm you know? the world power, I don't care whether you love me or not. That's it, yeah. Are you scared of me? Yeah. You know, a little bit of Theodore Roosevelt, speak softly, but carry a big stick. Now, Trump doesn't speak softly. No. But, you know, the same concept is. Might be the other way I, Yeah, he kind of yells and screams. But the bottom line is, I have nuclear weapons. So do you want to get along with me or not? I have more than you. Right. I'm bigger. <laughs> I'm more powerful than you are. Yep. I mean, it's I interesting. Got the biggest economy, the biggest weapons, the biggest button. So, you There know. was a comment by one of the moderators of a show, morning show this morning that went back to 2016 and said that somebody asked Trump, and then it's in the news too, that um, 
President Trump would like to ask, has asked the military to build more nuclear weapons. And why, if we have them, we can't use them. Now, that's very scary on many, many levels, but it kind of epitomizes what Donald Trump is and what the average American is all about. Is like, hey, we'll just nuke them. I mean, how many times in school did you hear that when we would have a debate in the classroom and there would be a segment of the classroom that would say, well, let's just nuke them. Yep. I, mean, I mean, I don't know if that was so much your... No, I, I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. There was lots of people uh, that, as I was growing up in school, that that would be the answer of, well, why don't we just do that? Uh, and and so and so is making us mad. So and so is not doing what we want to do. So let's just drop a nuke on them. Yeah. And, and so the article goes on to say, this all leads to an important question, one that will be dismissed today, but not by historians in the long run. Is it possible to hate Donald Trump, but not the average American? I thought that was great. Yeah, well, it says so much, right? Because really, what the, the point of this opinion piece is that Donald Trump is just a wealthy average American. And he's a not, dramatized, over-the-top version. Right. It's a reality TV well, version of an average American. Because he's so rich... He doesn't really have to ever care what people think of him. So he just has his opinions and he's not a learned scholar and he's not big into foreign policy and he doesn't know where different foreign countries are on the map. And the point of the article is, well, that's the average American. So why should the left wing elitist, the coastal people in general, be surprised that Trump plays well? with that part of the population the because, because he is the every person American. And, you know, I don't want to say man because I was watching. He s- identifies with them. With the, with, right. In the way he talks and the way he explains things and the way he thinks. And that's what counts, right? It's not, it's not maybe so much about the surface level of, well, what kind of status do you have or what kind of money do you have? It's, do you sound like me? Do you talk like me? Do you, do you get done what I want done? And there, there was a female standing in line at a rally waiting for Trump in Montana. And she turned around and she yelled on camera and she ran, look at all these people. We all believe what Trump believes. That's why we're here. Isn't that right? And the crowd, mm-hmm. male and female, went crazy. So, but, you know, the elitists want us to say that, well, you know, Trump is horrible for women. Well, yeah, but a lot of women are there. Look past mm-hmm. his treatment of women, and I have that in air quotes there, Yes, to the way he's running the country. And, and they like that he's speaking for them. The author goes on to say, true, Mr. Trump is the unconstrained average citizen. Obviously, you can hate some of his major characteristics, uh, the infantile lack of self-control in his Twitter babble, his hitting back like a spiteful child bully, without hating the average American who has no such tendencies. You might dislike the whole package. I wouldn't choose him as a friend, nor would he choose me. But what I see on the left is often plain, unconditional hatred of which the hater, God forgive him, is proud." It's discouraging, even disgusting, and it does mean, I believe, that the Trump hater truly does hate the average American, male or female, black or white, often he hates America too. 
Now, to me, that's he's he went a little far. Yeah. Okay. I don't think that is true. I as you read the first which part, which part though, the last okay full sentence because the first part I think is the first part I like as you were reading the first right, part the acknowledgement of you could really dislike his behavior. Right. I think that I don't believe that people who dislike Trump. I won't use the word hate because my grandma says that's too harsh a word. And so she kind of drilled that into me that you don't hate other people. So I won't use that. You shouldn't hate another human. Right. But I think what happens is what's happening here in this election cycle is that Democrats are losing that picture. They don't realize they're like, how could anybody like Donald Trump? How could anybody look at what he says? Look at what he stands for. Look at how many horrible things he said. What a bully, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but you're losing sight of the fact that he's speaking for a lot of people in America. Okay, so you don't have to like Trump or like what he stands for. But you better understand, and maybe this is what the author's trying to say, you better understand there are a lot of people who don't act like Donald Trump, who feel the same way he says he does about issues facing America. And to me, that's two totally different pictures, okay? So I don't, I'm not sure that those people who hate Trump hate the average American. What they don't, what they aren't getting is understanding that that average American agrees with a lot of what Donald Trump says. I'm not sure the average American agrees with the way Donald Trump behaves, but they agree with what his beliefs are on what the country should do and what direction the country should go. It's intriguing that the author says many Americans were ashamed when Ronald Reagan was elected, a movie actor, but the new direction he chose for America was a big success on balance and Reagan turned into a great president. Those who voted for Mr. Trump and will vote for his candidates this November worry about the nation, not its image. I think that's spot on. And I, and I, and I think that's what the Democrats are missing. They're, they're not going and discussing the ideas that they have or the direction they want for the country. They want to just say, well, you don't like Donald Trump, do you? You don't like what he's doing to America, do you? Well, what's he doing? The economy's good. You know, people have jobs. The unemployment rate is down. I don't know, you know, you have done nothing to turn people away from supporting him other than saying he doesn't act presidential and he's a bully and he's disregards women as equals. Right. I mean, the article sums it up as the Democrats have, right, that we hate Trump. I mean, that's... Right. And and the problem is, and that kind of leads into the reason that the pieces were structured this way, Democrats haven't turned back from 1968. And this, I'm sure, Lance, this caught his attention because it's one of those little historical... Right. Reminders mm-hmm. of how, how we got to where we are. Written by a gentleman who's worked. Ted Van Dyke. In government and in mm-hmm. the intellectual side and has been a lifelong Democrat. But it's very interesting, his take on the Democratic, the history of the Democratic movement since 1968. By the way, I'll mention too, I, I would definitely encourage, Lance and I both enjoyed reading these pieces. Uh, and And part of it is because it's good writing, you know, and it's, 
It's interesting to read. So the real reason they hate Trump, you can Google that, Wall Street Journal opinion piece, Monday, October 22nd. Uh, David, and if we say his name wrong here, uh, apologies in advance, but it's Mr. Uh, Gillettner is a computer science professor at Yale and chief scientist at Detach LLC. He has a book entitled Tides of Mind. So if you read it and you're interested in more, you can check out. And the- you know, I, I guess I need to make sh- make this little caveat. Yeah. You don't have to agree with everything that a writer says to enjoy the piece. Mm-hmm. And so when you say we enjoyed it, it was stimulating. It was thought provoking. It was well written. That doesn't mean we necessarily agree with everything that's in it in either piece. Yeah. But it makes you think. But it does. There you go. It makes you think. And that's why it's a good piece. <laughs> Well, and from his perspective, you've got a Republican, and now basically we're going over and talking to a lifelong Democrat, uh, Mr. Van Dyke. He was an active Democratic national policy and politics for 40 years. He is author of Heroes, Hacks, and Fools. Uh, So if you want to check out a book by him, which you may decide after you hear a little bit of this article. Uh, America is polarized in many ways, but one of the most significant is between generations in the Democratic Party. There was idealism in the protests, but also cynicism and a touch of totalitarianism. We demand often preceded the protesters' list of objectives. You could have a discussion with them over coffee or in small groups, but when an audience was present, a professor, speaker, or political candidate expressing a contrary opinion would often be shouted down, sometimes with obscene chants. Quote, never trust anyone over 30, end quote. The slogan went, or as I often thought silently, no one under 25. Those in established positions were usually judged reactionary, no matter the substance of their views. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, uh, stop, I mean, really think about that, folks, or get this article out and read that piece, because it's it's just exactly right. By God, I want change, and this is what it has to be. Well, how is that not demanding and totalitarian, you know? Mm-hmm. And as far as what caught my eye was that you can't trust anybody over 30, my older cousin had that sign on their bedroom door in 1968 when I was seven, and I didn't have a clue what that meant. I just right. thought it was wow. really cool. You know, <laughs> well, look at that. Don't trust anybody over 30. Hey, my mom's and dad's over 30. What do you mean I can't trust them? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it, that really caught my eye. But, yeah, I mean, anyway, go ahead. And that's, just, that's the, yeah, that's the, so that's the big change in 1968, post-1968, as you have the, uh, beginning of the protests, you know, against the Vietnam War um, and, a, and a host of other things. Do it my way or you're wrong. Right. And again, where's, it's, it's this where's, the, no bi- where's the bipartisanship in yep. that thought? The next big change came in 1992 with the nomination and election of Bill Clinton. His moderate platform was similar to his peers, but his political style was a departure. The concept of a permanent campaign came to the White House. Every move was measured against its short-term political value to the president. 
The Clinton team launched personal attacks against policy dissenters and against women who brought charges of sexual misconduct against the president. In 1996, Mr. Clinton accused Republican nominee Bob Dole of, quote, trying to destroy Social Security and Medicare, end quote, through his support of a bipartisan entitlement reform effort Mr. Clinton himself had previously praised. By 2001, when Mr. Clinton left the scene, say anything, attack politics had become the normal order of the day in the Democratic Party. Now, I have to stop you. We've got to go through this because to me, if, you, if you're if you a longtime listener to this show, you know that I am, am a big Bill Clinton fan. That as a president, I thought he played the game right as a Democrat, which so many times the Democrats don't. And that's why he stayed in power. And I've been quoted many times by my co-host here that, well, you always said it didn't matter what he was doing in his private life. It's what he was doing for the country that was important. And so I, and I stand by that. So I, I've had to, had my feet held to the fire here, but let's go through this and just imagine things. Okay. There I, I four things, right? First one, read, read again. Yeah. I'll, I know the part you're talking about. So we'll just, we'll just switch it up here a little bit. So listen to this. Okay. Uh, with the election of Donald Trump, his moderate platform was similar to his peers, but his political style was a departure. The concept of a permanent campaign came to the White House again. Every move was measured against its short-term political value to Donald Trump. The Trump team launched personal attacks against policy dissenters and against women who brought charges of sexual misconduct against the president. There it is. I mean, you substitute Donald Trump and all Trump has done is follow the blueprint of Bill Clinton. Of Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it all fits. I mean, if you can't, you know, if, if you're into politics at all, tell me you can't stop and think of a Donald Trump situation that fits each one of those Bill Clinton historical points. Now we fast forward to Mr. Obama's 2012 re-election campaign labeled his opponent, the temperate former Massachusetts governor, Mitt Romney, as anti-minority, anti-woman, anti-middle class, and a financial predator. The theme continued against Republican congressional candidates in 2014. Hillary Clinton tried to replicate it in her campaign against President Trump, but did not comprehend the electorate's determination to reject political establishmentarians, including herself. You can see the roots of what is happening now in the habits of 1968, which have been carried on by politicians, journalists, and academics who seem unaware that deplorable means do not yield virtuous ends. What is missing now among Democrats is any semblance of a coherent policy agenda directed to the future. Partisan anger is not an agenda. Positive, practical policy proposals constitute an agenda to get started, peace, prosperity, and justice. How can Americans of all parties and persuasions get there together? Couldn't have said it better myself. It's Haven't we been saying that for a few yes, months now, Lance? Yes. Or longer than that, for like a year? And this is a Democrat talking about Democrats, folks. Yep. This is where we're just not, to reiterate. Right. Mr. Van Dyke. <laughs> so I just I think we need to step back and understand that the Democrats need to have more than 
I just hate Trump policy. Yep. Because it's not going to work. Because it's not a policy. That's right. The, you know, it's not, you can't govern on those principles. But I chose that word on purpose. Yeah, I Because know. that is their policy. That's that's they, the they, problem. That's, they that's what they're, it's not a policy. Why are you running? Because I hate Trump, but don't you hate Trump? So vote for me. Right. Because I like women. You know, okay, great. You know, I mean, I'm fair to women. I treat them equally. What do you plan to do for them, though? Right. That's the that's what it all keeps coming back to. I hear. You are know, you going to narrow the pay gap because yeah. there's still a pay gap between men right. and women in the workforce? Notice too, their messaging all the time is, you know, well, we're going to try to do this, or or we'll work on this. Okay, well, what does that mean, though? Right. You know, that's not a promise. That's not a, we're going to do this. That's not, here's what my plan is to make it happen. Right. It's, not, the pay gap is awful. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, it sounds, tell us something else. Now I'm going to go to a left-wing Democrat, which is not where I want to take this, but Bernie Sanders saying the minimum wage should be $15 an hour. And what are we seeing now? Companies saying, you know, it was it Amazon, right? Yeah. They said, we're going to take it to $15 an hour. Yep. And again, that was, oh, that was left me. No, that was a politician saying, making a plan and saying, here's what I would do. Okay. And you may say it's too far out there or it was left wing two and a half years ago or three years ago, but now we're hearing it in mainstream that that's where the minimum wage needs to be. And we can, you know, we've discussed the minimum wage many times, but there's a policy. That's an actual policy that's now coming to fruition. But it's yep. a fringe Democrat who did it, not the mainstream no. Democrats. And they didn't do it by working together or trying to improve the lives of everybody. It was, you know, almost by luck that Bernie by himself mostly got it done. Uh, and it's still not the win that Bernie wants. I mean, let's all keep that in mind. Amazon is one of thousands of tens of thousands of employers, uh, but it's a step in the right direction. Well, but a tight you know. job market. Yeah. And one person does it. Then all of a sudden you're competing for employees. Yep. Uh, everybody else is going to have to move in that direction. So it's, uh, but it's a, but it is a true policy, not a I just dislike this person policy or I dislike their policies. I think. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I don't know, but I dislike them. Right. I dislike theirs. I, I don't have any plan <laughs> other than I won't do that. You know, it's like well, and and the problem here, people, is that then when it comes down to if. If you don't want to support the policy of what the Republicans are doing, you know, then you're left with, well, I'm not really going to vote for anything to happen. I'm going to vote for things to just stay the same because that's, that's what I get. Or do I choose, if I put, or do I choose not to vote at all because mm -hmm. the opponent that I want to support doesn't lay out what they're going to do for me. So it's like, well, why do we even bother to go vote if I don't know what they're going to do? And then the problem is, then you're going to end up with a Republican House as well as a Republican Senate. And now you have two more years of this policy, of these policies that I don't think are good for America. Right. But that's now that's a personal yeah thing. But that's the policy that's the problem for you, right? And and again, highlighting the issue there for people who care about what the policy is and don't like the policy, 
the Democrats are not providing a policy alternative. They're providing a, we love women, we love gay people, we love equality, which is all fine, except for there's nothing, they don't even have a plan to do anything about that stuff. You know, it's even the things they're talking about. What's your plan? What is it you're going to do? Right. There's no, what are you going to do to close the gender pay gap or to, you know, make it or or change the laws surrounding sexual assault and sexual violence. I mean, there's none of that. What are you going to do to take care of the health care problem? Yeah. What's your plan? I mean, because the Republicans ran into that. Mm -hmm. We're going to repeal Obamacare. Okay, they did that. And then I was like, ah, we don't have an idea. And now they've just thrown together something. And Lance and I were on them and still are on them for that. Well, because they've thrown together something that isn't working. It's not working in different ways, but it's not working any better than what the Affordable Care Act was was doing, you know, it's and you've the got, same kind of thing. And you've got the you've got the deficit. You have, you know, that's just going like crazy. Mm. You have eighty some percent of the tax cuts went to the richest one percent. Oh my gosh, there's an issue you could run against. There's that, no shortage of <laughs> policy ideas out there that they could run on. It's not like they have to. It's not like they need to go very but again, far. Vote for me because I'm not Trump. Yeah, that's all. That's mostly what we're hearing. I would think now is the perfect time with the announcement of Amazon to, to run on the minimum wage. I mean, I, how many times have we talked about the way that you get people out to vote is either if you're going to cost them more money, you know, hence they go out to vote against you, or if you're going to give them more money, which is what raising the minimum wage is. The way you get the people who are working for eight bucks an hour right now to go out and vote is by telling them that you're going to almost double their pay. They'll go vote. You know, they'll go get it done if you run on that. That average American. Yeah. That Trump is that this, winning. That that last article is talking about, that kind of person. Would get their attention. They'll get moving, you know. Because again, it's not, and that's what I thought the article did a nice job of. It's not his it's not the way he behaves that they are attracted to as as much as it is they like what he's doing because they're convinced it's good for them, you know? And he talks about those things in a way that they can understand. He's not doing this finesse and this nuance and the BS, as he would call it, that other politicians are engaging in. He's just telling them how he believes it is. Or what he thinks they believe it is so that they will support him. I'm not so sure he really believes this, but he's, in a sense, not being a politician, being the ultimate politician. He's telling people what they want to hear. He's being Bill Clinton. So he can get their support. Yeah. And then when he says, when he can't get done what he wants to do, he blames his opponents. I haven't heard a single account of somebody who met and talked with Bill Clinton who didn't feel when they were with him like everything they had to say mattered. Mm-hmm. And that, and then the, the Bill Clinton could basically repeat that in a way that made it sound like he thought the same thing. And that is, and that's exactly what Trump is doing. Just from you the know? side that the liberals can't stand. Right. I mean, yeah. he, he's just standing for the things, you know, saying the things that the liberals can't stand. They're, they're having to get the, you know, Republican Bill Clinton uh, basically, th- that's what they're getting fed, which to them, of course, would be the absolute opposite, literally the exact opposite of what they want. You know, at least if they get a Republican like a John McCain or, or a Mitt Romney or something like that, it's like, okay, well, 
you know, we can attack intellectual values that you have. But when we get somebody like Trump, you know, we're getting this political gamesmanship and we don't, and it's harder to go after that because the only way they have to go after it is this, well, we're not that, you know, which they are. Again, they are. They're just not in power right now. But you so bring up another. You bring not. up another good point in in your discussion. There is that typically people vote with their pocketbook, yep. with their wallet, and right now, on the surface, you know, we can get into the economic status of the United States, and I have a lot of queasy feelings about it. But on the surface. Wages are going up, not as much as they should. More people are than ever are working. The stock market is holding steady. Oil prices haven't gone through the roof yet. You know, all of these other. So this has to look like a pretty strong economy. And if so, if most people are working and they have a job and they're able to pay their bills, where's my incentive to vote for stagnation? Or to vote for a change. Right. Why do I want to change that? And yes, you're going to pay more in taxes in the year or two to come. But this first year, it's amazing the number of people that I've talked to in our small town who tell me, hey, I got more money in my paycheck. Yeah, but you're not going to in two or three years. Yeah, but I do now. Boy, I got this money and my wife and I are planning a vacation and we bought this for the kids and we bought this for the house and we still have money and savings. Blah, blah. I said, yeah, but it's going to tell. I don't care right now. Mm -hmm. So when they go to the polls, what are they going to vote for? The future? Or are they going to vote for right now? Right. And most, the average voter votes for right now. When Brett and I do our taxes this year, we will pay, even though we're going to, I mean, the way it looks right now, we're going to make more money than we did last year. We're going to pay less in taxes, though. And so it's easy when we get done with them and we see that, you know, we either don't owe any money or we owe a little tiny bit, or maybe we get some money back. It's easy to be happy about that. Because I had talked to you about, you know, last year how we got hit with this tax that we, you know, this payment that we didn't think we were going to have to make. Right. It's easy to take that and be happy and say, well, you know, I don't, maybe it's It was not, a good year. Yeah. It, it was, was a good year for not us. Not as bad as I thought it was, right. you know, kind of thing. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to get to the important last question here in just a moment, uh, which is, of course, what's going to happen to Democrats as we started out with on November 6th. But before we do, I just wanted to take a moment and remind you the reason the state of us is talking about this important issue is because Lance and I are trying to give uh, all of you out there at home who take your time to listen to us coverage of either things that the mainstream media is not giving the right kind of attention to or not enough attention to. Uh, and I think this is a big one that they're missing here, is the Democrats' lack of a platform. The media's job to hold your elected representatives accountable, your job to hold the media accountable. So get her done. Uh, and part of the way you can hold the media accountable is by understanding what they stand for. And here at True Chat, all of our podcasts pursue a common goal, which is to educate the people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. You know what to do. Email ethics at truechat.org if you think that we're not in line with that. So before Lance and I give you our predictions, now is the time at TrueChat, O-R-G, TrueChat.org, Facebook, and Twitter to let us know what do you think is going to happen to Democrats on November 6th, just a couple weeks away. So Lance, tell me, you've got about a minute. What do you got? What's going to happen to the Democrats in the House and the Senate? 
Well, I it's going to be really close as to whether or not the Democrats get the House of Representatives. I think it's going to be one of those we're watching late into the night, even the next day. Maybe there'll be a couple even special runoff elections. I don't think I don't think the margin will be any greater than five to ten seats, which there are so many different parts. If you've been watching closely of the Democratic Party these days, it'll be hard to hold that coalition together, I think. Um so tight margin the it, it, I think, in the House. I think the Democrats will take the House, but it'll okay. be a tight margin. The Republicans will keep control of the Senate. I don't think there's any doubt. And they, they might even strengthen their hold by a seat or two. The Republicans yep. will in the Senate. And and so I guess I wrap up by not having a lot to add to that. Um I think that that's what it looks like. It'll be close. Now, I wouldn't be, and I will add this, as, I don't think I was totally out of my minute. I wouldn't be surprised if the Republicans keep the House. Yeah. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility of everything stays. I will be less shocked by that than I was about Trump winning the presidency. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If things, if things mostly stay the way they are right now, that will I will not be shocked by that. I do think the Democrats can take the House, though. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens. And then, of course, the big question, what the heck are they going to do once they get there? Uh, who knows? Nobody knows. I don't even think they know. And that might be the biggest problem they face. So uh, their first step to solve that problem would be to uh, decide what they stand for, not what they stand against. Uh, they already figured that one out. Thank you very much for tuning in. Find all the True Chat podcast on Spotify, uh, and anywhere that fine podcasts are found. For the state of us on True Chat in Urbana, Ohio, I'm Justin T. Weller. Spotify, Lance Jackson. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the state of us. Be the change. <laughs>